We are in our series for Lent, uh, and we're going through the seven sayings, seven words of Jesus Christ. And last week, we looked at the first saying from the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus says, as he's hanging on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And you probably have also noticed, as you walked into the room, there's something different about this room, right? What's different about the room? Yeah, we have, um, I mean, other than my, you know, whatever glow, natural glow that I have, um, you know, you probably noticed <laughs> the, the, the paintings uh, around the wall. And uh, these were, um, you know, chosen, uh, selected, um, um, you know, by Bernie and Mitch uh, together. And, uh, you know, they, uh, Bernie went and, and, you know, printed these and mounted them. And they, both of them were here yesterday all day slaving away, uh, mounting these up on the wall. Um, and each will get a light. Um, don't worry, it's not just that one that's going to have a light. But they will all get a light. <laughs> um, but, you know, we wanted to encourage all of you, as we are reflecting as a church and as, as individuals as, uh, through the season of Lent, on the seven different sayings of Jesus Christ on the cross, that every time you come into this place, that you will take time, in fact, and, and look uh, at the paintings and reflect on them and meditate in front of them and, and see what the... Um, stories that these paintings represent uh, mean for you and, and really how that impacts your life right now. And so we want to encourage all of you to reflect on the person of Jesus Christ through this season of Lent. Um, and so with that said, we're going into the second saying of Jesus Christ from also from the Gospel of Luke we'll be looking at um, uh, this morning. And it comes from Luke chapter 23, verse uh, thirty. 9 through 43. So we're going to read this together right now. Um, uh, yeah, let's read this together out loud. Okay, ready? Go. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Are you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Um, FYI, that back is not. Uh, oh, okay. You knew that. All right. Um, okay. Um, this, the second saying of Jesus we'll be looking at is the last verse, verse 43. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Last week was, Father, forgive them. This week is, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Who was Jesus saying this to and what was he, why was he saying this to the person? And where do we stand? How do we hear this today, this morning, as we come together as a church uh, this morning? Now, we think about Jesus Christ as we build up to Easter. Uh, we know that two days before, three days before that is Good Friday, the day we remember the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And we know that uh, there were more than just one person that was crucified on that hill called Golgotha, okay, meaning skull on that uh, place. Okay, besides Jesus, there were two other people that were uh, crucified, two criminals, in fact, and two violent criminals. Uh, so we have three people that are crucified. 
And after Jesus had prayed to God for forgiveness for the sinners that were there, the gospel tells us that people and soldiers, uh, a couple of verses even before this, uh, they, they were mocking him and ridiculing him and insulting him, even daring him to come down from the cross and save himself. You know, they were saying the soldiers and the people that were gathered around the crucifixion site, they were saying, hey, you know, you're a king, you know, why don't you save yourself, come down. Um, then it says in verse 38 that there was a written notice saying that he was the king of the Jews. It's supposed to be um, sarcastic. It's supposed to be mocking uh, because this, you know, um, and, the, and the Jews didn't like that. They said, you know, make sure you put this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. But, you know, uh, the governor said, hey, what I've written is what I've written. Deal with it, right? So they, they meant for it to be um, sarcastic. But ironically, it, it was the claim that Jesus made. And we know that it is true as, as we will see uh, today. And in this very intense moment. I mean, right now, removed from this event of crucifixion nearly 2,000 years, uh, we can look back and we can appreciate the historical significance of what is happening on this uh, hill and, and, and by, this, the, by the death of this man called Jesus Christ. Uh, and we can appreciate this. And at, at that moment as well, there were some people, you know, I believe, and just like the century who, who saw Jesus and, and said this, you know, this man truly was the son of God at the moment of, of his death. Uh, we know that there were people uh, being able to sort of feel the weight of the moment, right? And in this moment, the two thieves that were hanging at Jesus' center and the one on the right and one on the left, they had a very different response, different reaction to Jesus' death on the cross, right? So that's what we want to look at today because that will uh, tell us uh, the significance of what Jesus is uh, saying to, to them here, okay? So let's take a look together and we're going to look at uh, the first thief, okay? I'm just going to, we don't, nobody knows their names, right? So I'm just going to call him thief number one. And uh, uh, verse 39 says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. First of all, you know that there were, um, there were two thieves, right? But often we spend most our time, most of our time talking about which thief? Number two, right? Because number two is supposed to be the, the, our model. Example, I mean, you don't want to um, kind of, it's not our example or role model in the sense that wait till right up until you're, you die. You know, live the life you want to live and right up until the moment you're about to breathe your last. Oh, Jesus, I believe in you coming to my heart. I'm gonna, yeah, I believe you. You know, and then you go to heaven. You know, that's not what we're trying to uh, emulate here. But nevertheless, we, we see him and, and, and we're going to talk about him. Um, but, you know, we spend most of our time talking about that second thief because it shows God's grace. It shows that God's grace and forgiveness knows no bounds, right? Uh, but this time, as, as, as I was going to do the same thing, and this time though, when I was preparing for this message, I don't know why, I just could not get past this verse. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. And I just got stuck there. I just got stuck with the, the first thief. Why? Why? Why do you think I was stuck? I was reading this passage over and over again, trying to figure out why am I, you know, uh, why can't I get past this thief? I want to get to thief number two because he's the good guy, right? Um, and, and I found out, I, I realized that I couldn't get past this thief because I was so bothered by the fact that this thief 
as he was hanging on the cross, as he was breathing his last, as he was in just a ton of pain and experiencing humiliation. You know that they were naked up there, right? Okay. Um, and and they, it, there's hundreds of people, if not thousands, just gathered there, you know, looking at him. Why did he feel the need to turn and look at Jesus and make fun of Jesus and mock him and insult him and, and, and say the things that he just did? Here in this verse, you know, aren't you the Christ? Aren't you supposed to be the Messiah? Why don't you save yourself and save us too? I mean, think about this. If I, I put myself in this deep position and, and I don't know if I would have the energy to make fun of someone else and, and mock someone else. And someone who's just quietly suffering there also, right? And I'm just barely holding on. I'm just trying to, to, to breathe my next breath, you know. And where does he get the energy and the focus, you know, to, to turn and yell at Jesus while he's hanging on the cross? And that really puzzled me. And I was stuck here. Why? What is up with this guy? What is wrong with this guy? And I realized after reflecting on what his problem was, he was bitter. He was bitter. Right? Everybody knows what being bitter is like, this is just, you know, I just got this from online, uh, from a dictionary. Um, old English, you know, bitter, having a harsh taste, sharp, cutting, angry, full of animosity, cruel. And it goes on to explain the etymology of, of where this word came from, right? Um, you know who responds, even as they're experiencing pain, and even as they're going through a difficult time, you know, you know what kind of people has the, have the energy to respond to another person in, in, in a cutting way like this, people who are bitter. People who are bitter, right? Bitterness. Uh, this is one psychologist, you know, uh, defines bitterness like this. A chronic and pervasive state of smoldering resentment. Man, I think that's like so on point, right? A chronic and pervasive state of smoldering resentment. One of the most destructive and toxic of human emotions. Basically, and, and, and you know, uh, when we talk about bitterness, and you could you could search Google it, you could look up, up different books and, and look up what bitterness you know it means. But everyone's unanimous, you know, psychologists or theologians, whatever. You know, when do we start to be bitter? We become bitter when we feel that something or someone has someone has taken something from us, and we hold on to that resentment. When we begin to not let it go, when we feel that we, we were wronged, whether it was somebody by somebody we know or even a stranger, but we, we, we hold on to that, that resentment, what happens is this, that resentment begins to take root in our heart and begin, uh, uh, begins to uh, infect everything that we, we say and do, all our thoughts and all our emotions. Any hurtful experience and pain can be the start of bitterness taking root in our life. And I found this amazing quote uh, um, by John Orberg Jr. He's, he's a well-known teaching pastor. Um, and uh, he says this, Bitterness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Okay? Just think about that. Bitterness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Rat I, I drink the rat poison, and I'm just like, oh, that rat, I, I can't wait for that rat to die, you know. Um, and and what, what it's illustrating is that bitterness is really, it, it's, we hold on to this resentment because we feel that someone has wrongfully hurt us. Uh, but when we, when we 
hold on to this resentment against that person, you know, it's not doing anything to that person. It's killing you, though. It's destroying you, right? Some of the costs of bitterness, you know, uh, people have articulated, um, uh, this is another psychologist who, who said, cost of bitterness, prolong, I didn't put it all up there, prolong your mental and emotional pain, lead to long-lasting anxiety and depression, precipitate vengeful or even violent acts that put you at further risk for being hurt or victimized. And, you know, last week we saw, we talked about Parkland just briefly shooting, um, and there's so many things going on with that. Um, so many things different from other shootings. I mean, not to mention the fact that these young students are just kind of standing up. And uh, I don't know if you saw the video uh, of uh, the town hall that CNN put on uh, with the students and with the governor, Marco Rubio, was there and some NRA reps were there. And there was, but, um, you know, uh, it, was, it was kind of incredible uh, to see these kids, uh, my, my kids' age, you know, um, uh, just kind of uh, standing their ground and, and going up against the governors. Now, I'm not talking about the, the politics and all of that stuff, but um, something's happening with that. And, and, and the kids who are, um, you know, th those kids are responding in, in this manner. But, you know, going back to the shooter, um, I, I, I read these things and, and I think that kid was bitter. And you think about all the other kids who had gone and, and shot up schools or, or clubs or whatever it was, you know, bitterness, I realize, is the first thing that comes to mind, right? You talk about guns and mental issues, all this stuff, but at the root of it, it's the bitterness uh, that, that took a hold of their hearts, hold of their emotions, hold of their minds, and precipitated vengeful and violent acts that put, you, put themselves and others at, at risk of, uh, of terrible, terrible violence. Prevent you also, a bitterness can prevent you from experiencing the potential joys of living fully in the present. It, it, it creates or further deepen an attitude of distrust and cynicism. Um, interferes with your cultivating healthy, satisfying relationships. Compromises or weaken your higher ideals. Rob your vital energy. Far better employed to help you realize your desires, achieve goals that you uh, 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 have coveted earlier. Undermine your physical health. Bitterness, your emotional bitterness can undermine your physical health and blind you from recognizing your own role or responsibility and possibly having been vindictively harmed by another and by keeping you, uh, and also uh, by keeping you in a paradoxical state of vengeful bondage erodes your sense of well-being, right? So there are all these terrible things that can come as a result of bitterness. And do you know how to get rid of bitterness? Do you know how to cure bitterness? I, I was like researching, how? Then tell me, how do I get rid of bitterness, right? Because I think that I have bitterness in my heart. I think, I know for a fact different individuals in this room have struggled with, currently are struggling with bitterness in their heart. And if we're not careful, if we're not able to identify, you know, right now, sooner the better. It will take hold. It will, it will set down roots. And it will begin to infect everything that you think, everything you say, everything that you do. And we've known people like that. But have you looked in the mirror and saw that you are in fact turning into that person possibly? And I looked everywhere. What is the cure for bitterness? How do we get rid of bitterness? And this is across the board, whether they're theologians or they're a therapist I know we got some actually in this room right now, therapists, right? And theologians, right? Um, we're all theologians, actually. But they all say the cure for bitterness is what? 
gratitude, forgiveness, okay? Forgiveness is the cure for bitterness. Gratitude, I think, comes after uh, this. Whether it's, it's the act of forgiving yourself or having been forgiven by another, how you cure bitterness is by being forgiven. But some of us willingly hold on to bitterness. Going back to this first thief, you look at this thief and he's, he's even as he is rightfully, justly being punished for the crime that he has committed. And we're to establish the fact that Jesus was hanging there innocent. He has uh, the energy and, and the focus and the mind to respond to this incredible situation. He's losing his life right now. And, and in that moment, the bitterness comes full force in his life and responds to this situation. Not by regretting even. Not, I'm not even talking about repenting. But even regretting the way he had lived. Choice after choice after choice led him to this point. Nobody, he was not born when he was born. This thief, you know, as a baby... You know, you look at all the babies. None of the, the cute babies in our church are walking around like Stewie in, in Family Guy or, you know, Pink in the Brain. Oh, my gosh. Pink in the Brain. Anybody remember Pink in the Brain? You know, uh, scheming to take over the world. These two, three-year-olds are walking around. I'm going to take over the world one of these days, you know. No. They make choices. We make choices one after another. After a series of choices and series of responses to the consequences of those choices, we either find ourselves in bondage to bitterness or constantly upgrading ourselves, constantly seeing who we are as God's creation and beloved children and not giving into the trap of bitterness. And we see this thief who has who, who has been given into, who, who gave up, who, who, who gave himself into bitterness after choices, after, you know, series of different choices in his life. In his life and bitterness has taken hold of his heart. And he's, he was hanging on that cross unrepentant and completely defiant of the situation he found himself in. As a result, there's no introspection. There's no sense of guilt for his crimes even. He's saying, hey, aren't you the Christ? Save us. Save us. Let me get down. And you will see the other thief responds. Basically is requesting the same thing, but it's very different. Qualitatively, completely different. He says, aren't you the Christ? Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. Save me. No regret. No, no, nothing about what he had done in his life. No recognition. No fear and no thought with regards to what might even happen after he breathes his last. And I realized for the first time when I was reflecting on this passage that there's th that we were so quick to go to the thief too and oh, we should all be like him. But we need to spend a little more time with the set first thief and, 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 and look at, see ourselves in the first thief. Have we become bitter? He was hanging right next, just a few feet away from the Savior as he says sarcastically, Aren't you the Christ, the Christ, the Savior? And because of his bitterness, he could not see it. He had an amazing opportunity to be redeemed, to be bought 
with the price, with the blood of Christ, to be forgiven and to be freed from the things that they have been plaguing his, his life. But because of bitterness, he didn't see Christ. And he didn't respond the way he should have. And the question is, are we blinded by our own bitterness this morning? Some of us walk around and we live normal lives and we have normal interactions with others, but we are harboring bitterness. We, we feel that, hey, I have been wronged. I have been wronged by this person and, and, and I'm, 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 not, I'm just going to hold on to it. I'm not going to forgive this person. We talked about the, the, how the response of the Amish community last week and how they responded to their shooting in 2000, back in 2006. And they said what? They said what? This unforgiveness, this is, 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 is destructive to community. It will destroy us if we don't forgive. This hostility will destroy us. And some of us have let this bitterness take root in our hearts. And we have allowed this bitterness to take over our lives. And, and, and we have closed ourselves off to others. Sarah shared, um, I know Sarah hates it, like just being put on the spotlight and things like that. So I want to thank you once again for, you know, uh, being willing to uh, share your testimony online. Um, you know, uh, but, but in that moment, you know, she shared that she didn't want to open up to others. She didn't want, and, and she heard the voice of the enemy accusing her of all these terrible things. And the thing is, you, you, could, you, you have a choice to make at that point. You know, and, and you, you, are you going to be convinced by the enemy's voice, the devil's voice? Or, or are you going to turn to Christ? Are you going to turn to Christ and hold on to truth that we have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ? And when we, when we close ourselves off, she, you know, she even mentioned how she didn't want to receive any phone calls and not wanting to share, you know, all these things. And, uh, and, and, and when we begin to close ourselves off, it just, it just begins to um, take over everything in our lives, right? And, and, and out of that, we, we, we react to other stimulus in our lives, other people, how people say. And, and we may, you know, uh, one of the trademarks, you know, uh, uh, of people who are just constantly bitter are, are they respond in a very cutting way, right? Cutting. They're all their remarks, all their responses. My therapist, I mean, we have MFTs in our, in our tell me if I'm wrong, right? Um, this is one of the... Um, uh, just classic. It is whatever you know happens. Is they're just cutting, you know, their, their remarks. You know, there, there's bitterness there, right? And some of us have seen this in other people, but we've also failed to recognize that in ourselves. And as a result, when we come to Christ, we don't see Christ the way He really is. gave into his bitterness to Steve and he didn't see Christ and the only thing he could say was a sarcastic comment hey aren't you the Christ what you save yourself hey, save me while you're at it that'd be great Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 says see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I think this is so interesting. He says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God as a result of having the root of the bitterness take over that person's life. Because as we'll see, 
thief number two, to the contrary to the first thief, would not let. Even in that moment, bitterness take him over. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? You and I, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, we're not, I'm not pardoning him of his guilt, right? Because he even himself recognizes that he's there for a good reason. He did something wrong. He deserved this punishment. He recognizes that, right? Okay. Um, uh, but, but his response to Christ is unbelievable. The first of all, um, there, there are three things that he recognized that I want to highlight just really briefly this morning. He recognized on the cross, unlike the first thief, he was guilty. The first thief was defiant. He, he didn't say anything about regret or repenting or, or feeling sorry for the, the people he had wronged. But the second thief, it, it, while he was standing, and you know what's interesting? If you look at other Gospels, right? John is, you know, different, but Matthew and Mark, they all say that the, the, the thieves, they both reviled Christ. The, this is the only account in the, all of the Gospels where we have this detailed interaction with the thieves and Christ on the cross. But if you look at Matthew and Mark, they all say uh, the people were insulting Jesus. The soldiers were mocking Christ. You know, and it says the the, the thieves, the criminals that were hanging on the cross also reviled Christ. But when you come to Luke, you see this detailed uh, uh, account of what happened there. And you see the second thief uh, having a change of heart. What happened? What happened on the cross that he began by insulting Christ just like all the other people? What happened though that led him to have a change of heart as he was hanging on the cross? What happened was he Listen to my message last week. Because <laughs> he heard what Christ said on the cross. As people were insulting Christ. And, and people were mocking him, throwing things at him. And just, you know, saying hor horrible things to, to Jesus Christ. Who was there innocent, as an innocent but willing victim on the cross. Jesus says to the people, the first saying of Christ. We looked at this last week. What did he say, everybody? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And this thief somehow didn't give in to the bitterness that was taking root in his heart. And in fact, he rebukes the other criminal. Don't you fear God? Since you and I are under the same sentence, how dare you? Do you not see that this man is innocent? Do you not, did you not hear the prayer of forgiveness that this man just offered up to God? We are punished justly in verse 41 for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. He also recognized not only that he himself was guilty, but he recognized that this man right next to him was hanging uh, even though he was innocent. Jesus was a righteous person suffering for someone else's sin. And this thief doesn't have 2,000 years of accumulated theological research and knowledge, right? But he at least knew that instead of Jesus, a guy, a thief, a violent criminal named Barabbas should have been on there with them. But he knows that the Jews shouted, we want Barabbas. We want Barabbas instead. And Pilate, the governor of Judah, said, I do not find any fault with this man. He is innocent. 
And symbolically, he washes his hands in front of his eyes. This man's blood is on him. And this thing he says, and he's wounded. And he says in verse 41, this man has done nothing wrong. He's recognized that Jesus is the sacrifice for his sins. And he recognized that Jesus was king. A few verses earlier, we saw that there was a sign for this is the king of the Jews. And how does he know this? We see his confession in verse 42. Right after saying, this man has done nothing wrong, he says in verse 42. Then he says, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Into your kingdom. When you begin to rule. Right now you're hanging there. Right now you're being crucified. Right now you're being murdered. And you haven't done anything wrong. But I recognize that you are king. I recognize that you are God. And when you come into your glory and your rule. What does he say? What does he say? This is how I knew he was truly penitent. What I realized when I was reflecting on this man's confession was, you know, when you're you're truly sorry, when you're truly repentant, you can't even ask for forgiveness. What does this man ask for? Does he say to Jesus, Jesus, forgive me? No, he asks something even more. He just looks at Jesus and he says, And when you come into your kingdom, when you begin to rule, you cannot remember this is a man who is truly, truly aware of his condition as he hangs before next to the Savior of the world. And as we read in Hebrews 12, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. Grace is, by definition, an undeserved favor. But he realized he cannot ask for forgiveness. He simply asks Jesus. Because he doesn't deserve it. He asks Jesus to remember him. There's nothing that he's bringing to God. There's nothing that he's able to look at Christ and say, Look, I'm, 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 I'm penitent. Forgive me. No. There's nothing that he's bringing to Jesus. Look, I bring all these things to you. I bring my talents to you. I bring my gifts to you. I deserve your forgiveness. No. He says, just remember my servant. And, of course, we are looking at what Jesus says about him as God. And the saying that we're looking at is, will be with the entire life but I want to cheat and squeeze in another saying in there okay because we realize and we know in fact that sometimes silence speaks louder than words there was a deep penitence deep penitence one says Aren't you the Christ, 
intimate stupid to him with compassion right the person who was mocking man who was hanging right next to him and allowed bitterness to take hold of his heart and and missed who he was because of his bitterness. He doesn't even greet him. But to the second thief, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise today you will be with me in paradise i know that uh, uh one of the small groups they're going through they're studying heaven who's in that group who's in yeah okay you guys still doing heaven right yeah okay uh, so I'm, I'm i'm really hoping to be able to do a sermon series on heaven and hell you know uh, soon but um uh here jesus says I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And, and in your small group, I'm sure it's very interesting. I'm sure a lot of uh, different thoughts come up and uh, ideas come up. And you, you're looking at um, different you know, theories and what the Bible says. And uh, we're not going to do that today. Um, you can speculate so many, you know, all we want about what paradise means here. Um, and there's so many different things. I could, I could show you my notes, all my notes here, right, uh, about, you know, what... Uh, but we're not going to go into it because we'll be doing just that, speculating, okay? Um, but one thing that I know we don't have to speculate. One thing that we know for sure, that every time this word has appeared in the New Testament, there is consistency. And there's always, it's, it, it does mean the same thing. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what it smells like, okay? We don't know what it's going to feel like. We don't, we don't, I don't want to speculate about things like that right now. But what we do know, when the word paradise appears in the New Testament, it is very clearly referring to a place where we are with God, where we, we are very clearly, obviously, in the presence of God with Him together. And Jesus says to this thief, today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. Last week, another thing that happened, I don't know how many of you noticed, uh, Billy Graham passed away. He was 99 years, he would have turned 100 this year. And... Uh, um, uh, one of the quotes um, that I'm sh maybe some of you saw it circulating online um, that was attributed to Billy Graham said, someday, this is when he was younger, you know, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Okay. Um, so, I, you know, of course, whenever I want to say something while preaching, I have to do fact check. You know, did he really say this? Because this is just too good to be true, right? Um, and and uh, what I found out was that, in fact, it was Moody, um, D.L. Moody who said this. But Billy Graham uh, was uh, always looked up to Moody, and, and he knows he said this. He knew he said this, and he and took it and, he, and referred to it and attributed it to him as well. So the truth, you know, Moody said it, and Billy Graham, who saw Moody as, as one of his mentors, sort of, and and, and kind of started saying it himself as well. 
And it's so great. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have just changed my address. I will have gone into the, again, what? Presence of God. Jesus looks at this thief who was penitent and who respond, who saw Christ. And just minutes ago, he was hurling insults at him along with the others. But when he saw that Christ was forgiving all these people, he received that forgiveness. And he realized his own condition as he was hanging on there. He was like, what have I done? What have my choices, you know, um, led me to? And what, why? And, and he sees Christ. And he says, you are innocent. You are the king. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looks at him straight. You will be with me in the presence of God. And I close with this question. Which thief are you? Which one are you? As you look at these paintings, and we're going to be reflecting on, on Christ throughout Lent, and as you look at this cross uh, from last year that is still standing true, and as you hear these things, as you reflect on the person of Jesus Christ, how will you respond to and, and I'm not even just talking about matters of salvation. And that's what the thief, I don't, I don't care what anybody says. That thief was, says, I read this whole thing on somebody trying to say this thief was uh, saved not by that, but just by uh, that, that uh, the works he demonstrated on the cross as he was hanging because he tried to witness to the other thief and, you know, all these things that had exhibited. And that's what saved him. You know, no one can be saved just like that, you know. No. It's clear. Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise today. And all he did was he realized he was guilty in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus Christ. And he, he received his forgiveness. And he says, remember me when you enter into paradise. The other thief, on the other hand, allowed bitterness to take over of his life. And he, and, and he didn't see Christ and he rejected him. And it's not just about where we go when we die. On this earth, but even as we live our life as Christians, some of us allow bitterness to take hold of different areas of our lives. And we say, Christ, stay at church. <laughs> Don't bother me. All right? I'll deal with this. Okay? Or we mock him even. Oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah, he saved me. That's great. But he's not going to help me with this. And we hold on to these things because we allowed bitterness to take hold of our lives. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want you to uh, uh, seriously think about this. You know, that, that you, as you sit there this morning, are there things in your life?